welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. and welcome to this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you here. We're not sponsored as a podcast, so everyone I interview, I do so because of what I feel they can add to the knowledge pool for the benefit of hairdressers, salon owners, and the salon industry at large. One of my favorite things is success stories. I love talking to someone who has an idea and then has moved heaven and earth to make it happen, despite all the naysayers and challenges that are inevitably going to happen. In 2019, I interviewed a Canadian hairdresser by the name of Alicia Soulier about what was then her new startup technology company, SalonScale.com. SalonScale is a Bluetooth hair color app that, amongst other things, ensures that you know the exact cost of product in every color service leaving the salon which means that you can therefore price your color services accordingly. A year and a bit later, I wanted to catch up again with Alicia to see how this gutsy former salon owner turned tech entrepreneur was growing her business. Amongst other things, we talk about the problems that Salon Scale solves for you, the salon owner or hairdresser, the salon industry's uptake on new technology, her entrepreneurial journey, and if knowing what she knows now, what would she change if she was still running her own salon? And lots more. So without further ado, welcome back to the show, Alicia Soulier. Thanks, Anthony. I'm so excited to be back. Well, it's fantastic. You're my first guest that I've ever had back. I think we've done uh, about 70 podcasts so far. Uh, so it's great to have you back. We last spoke to you on episode 18. So it was sort of in the, the early days of the podcast and it was on uh, in November 2019. So I encourage our listeners, if you didn't check out episode 18 uh, with Alicia Soulier, to go back and have a listen to it because I don't want to repeat all the same stuff. But um, obviously, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to Alicia again is that she is a hairdresser, okay, but she's in the tech space. And with tech, you need to you know, constantly be updating and it's constantly growing and evolving. And she had a, a, a very new business in. It's not quite so new now. Um, and I, I know there's been a lot of change in, in, in it. So, you know, it's going to be an opportunity to sort of dig around a lot and talk about that. But Alicia, before we get into all that, uh, for those people listening who haven't heard of you, um, let's start off by you sort of introducing yourself and, and giving us sort of a you know, two, three, four minute backstory of who you are and exactly what you do. And then we can sort of dig into uh, the detail a bit more. Wonderful. Well, uh, happy listeners listening to here today. Um, I just want to, again, thank Anthony for the time to chat. Uh, so a little bit about me. I started just like many other people. I was a stylist and then salon owner. Uh, and I found a very big issue in my salon, which many people are facing, is that color was walking out the door and paid for. I couldn't figure out ways to really... Um, 
find this cost control until I developed a product called Salon Scale. So Salon Scale is simply an app that measures hair color in real time and it allows you to be able to separate your parts from your labor. So you now know that every color walking out is paid for. And uh, yeah, like Anthony said, it's been about two years uh, since we started this and started from the salon owner perspective and now full-time tech, uh, tech founder. Great. Okay, so that's that's uh, nice and concise. Um, now I remember I was checking through my notes uh, from our last call. In fact, I re-listened to the podcast myself, and I was uh, fascinated with it as well. So you know, I'm excited to talk to you again uh, and see what your growth has been like. I know when we spoke then that you were in about 1,800 salons. So it's just over a year since we spoke. Um, how many how many salons are you in now? What sort of growth has there been? We've had over 5,500 salons join us since, since then. Wow. So lots of growth since that day. Um, and it's definitely a nonstop path here for us. That is incredible. So, I mean, that's from 1,800 to 5,500 in 12 months. Um, you know, that's like three times, you know, the, the growth of your client base, so to speak. Um, yeah, a lot of salons would be really happy with that. So, um, so that's even in this year of COVID, you, you've, You've been growing through this. I would have thought COVID would have, I mean, it's hit the salon industry worldwide pretty hard. How's, what sort of impact has COVID had on you? So COVID actually was a positive for us. And unfortunately, um, you know, people have lost their lives and it is a horrible thing going on. Uh, for businesses like myself, it put us really at that forefront into the pain that these salons were facing, which was their finances. So we actually experienced a tremendous amount of growth. So just even in since March uh, till July, we had 101 growth just in those four months alone. And uh, a lot of the ways that we pivoted in that time was we really had empathy for our customers and we paused everybody's uh, subscriptions. So I actually took the biggest jump and said, you know what, we are producing revenue. We are a very early startup. We could die if we do this, but I cared more about our customers than I cared about our revenues at that time. So we subsp uh, suspended all the subscriptions for those four months. Um, and then come July in the time that we thought we would have no, no real traction, we actually ended up growing and doubling 101% growth in those four months alone. And I think it was just a huge relief, but it was kind of that thing where it's like, who do I want to be known as? What kind of company do I want to be known as after um, a major pandemic or as people come back? And I'm very glad that we took that decision because it really allowed us to really grow and people talked about us um, and they really had the time to finally pause look at their numbers and realize that they definitely needed a technical solution to help them. Okay. Um, now, there'll be a lot of people listening to this that haven't heard of Salon Scale and have no idea what we're talking about. Um, and because it's an audio, an audio thing, there's nothing visual for them to see. I, I'm just sort of thinking to myself, okay, we need to be really careful that we don't assume that people know anything about Salon Scale. And then you've just talked about memberships and you've talked about an app. So let's just back up a little bit and talk about what this looks like in a salon situation. Um, that why does someone need an app? And, and, I, and one of the reasons I suppose I'm saying this, and I touched on this with you before we got on the call, was that I'll often talk to people, I'll often talk to colorists all over the world, and I interview some of them on the podcast. And, and one of the questions I often ask them is about, so what sort of technology are you using as a colorist? And they usually look at me like I've got three heads because 
or, or, or they'll answer, they'll say Instagram, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, but what, what sort of technology for inventory management or cost control and stuff like this? And, and um, they're not very receptive to it often. So I, I think that we need to sort of go, go back a little bit and describe, you know, as you said, you were a salon owner and you had this problem with, with color unpaid for walking out the door. You don't mean tubes of color that people have <laughs> lifted. You mean color services that really weren't being priced properly. And, um, you know, I know, uh, I know you're meant to be talking here, but you said something to me which was really enlightening and it was an aha moment for me. And it was that as a consultant and as a former salon owner, that if you'd said to me, so Anthony, what percentage of, of, of a color service would be product? Me and lots of people like me the world over have this measurement of, oh, it's about 10%. But it's not really based on any uh, uh, science for most of us. It's based on, well, it's always been 10%. We've just always said it's 10%. But as you said to me on the last podcast, that, or, or you said to me at some point, that, that in fact, when you did the research, that it has become a lot more than 10%. And you pointed out this really interesting thing, that it's because the sort of color services we use today and the products we use uh, are a lot more intensive and it's sort of crept up on us. So, so um, you're going to do a much better job of explaining your product and service than what I am. So let me just pass that over to you uh, to uh, sort of paint this picture uh, with words as to what this app does and why a hairdresser should use it. Wonderful. Well, you did a great job, by the way. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, we, you know, it's really important to simple this down because, you know, technology doesn't have to be overcomplicated. And what we're finding is just like Anthony said, is that colorists today use three to to 10 times more color than they used to at least 10 years ago. Um, statistics show that this is not going to slow down anytime soon. And when we look at those consumption rates, um, you know, we were in the past using closer to that eight to 10% of, uh, of consumption of color per application. However, as these trends in, inflated and we look at things like social media, that really pushed the amount of trends, which pushed more color usage. And that actually ballooned all the way up to about an 18% on average. So if you can imagine every single salon, while that color was trending and going, uh, the consumption rates were going up, that means the bottom line of every salon was decreasing, as well as the industry statistic of an 85% failure rate in salons. This was just a dire situation. So really, salon scale couldn't come at a better time. And what we need to focus on is that we, ha we have the creative side. We have the revenue side. We are driving top-line revenue into a business. We know that part. But one of the things that we don't expand on is what is leaving. And we're looking at those operating expenses. And not all of us have a you know, financial degree to kind of look at this. So we need to find streamlined processes. And that's essentially what SalonScale does. It, it helps you with understanding the cost of goods sold of every single color you're doing. And to simplify really easy, um, essentially the apps, it's right where you color hair. You open the app, you select the customer. Let's say you're using a 6N, you tap 6N, you measure it onto a Bluetooth scale. And in real time, it'll send you how much that squeeze of 6N was. Then you put your developer on. Now the whole... 
uh, benefit to salon skills so much more than just knowing the cost because now you would know how to charge the customer. Um, you're going to separate that. And just like Anthony said, instead of having this um, kind of fixed fee, whether it's a 10% or a flat fee on your color, it's now a variable. And we have to think about it. Everybody has a different density. Every Everyone has a different length and we all use different amounts of color. So the customer shouldn't be paying a flat fee for something that's variable. They should be paying for exactly what they're using. Mm. So that is essentially how we work. And then it kind of morphed into that next step, which is, well, if we're going to put this effort into recording what we're using on customers, we now have formulas that get kept digitally, which is amazing. Kind of having like a health report on the hair for years to come. Um, but most importantly, it's the ordering. So everything that gets scanned into the system, we also are able to create shopping lists and take that emotional buying out because we know as salon owners, um, we tend to be emotional sellers and impulsive buyers. And when you have that coupled together, that's a disaster for cash flow. And what we want to do is we want to stop, you know, just guessing what we need or overstocking. We want to make sure we're only ordering what we're using. So this tool actually has helped thousands of salons stop counting their and ripping tabs and, and calling in their orders. They're actually just simply pressing a button and 30 seconds, they have a list of what they use that week, that day, that, that month. And then they go ahead and order just that amount. So there's so much more. And like I, like Anthony said on our last podcast, we really went into details a little bit more about the backstory yeah. on it. Um, so I definitely say go listen to that too. But it's definitely been a game changer for these salons, um, especially managing their, their color and their back bar. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, I just want to reinforce that. You know, I don't want to dig into getting you to explain exactly how it works. But if you're listening to this and you're intrigued, then please go back and listen to the uh, the earlier uh, episode that I did, episode 18, I think I said it was. The, yeah, episode 18 in 2019. Because we talk a lot in there about practically how it works and what it looks like in the salon. So if you're a little bit confused, then please uh, go and do that. But So what, what I want to ask you now then is, is how... Um, uh, well, there's a couple of things. I, I want to ask you, it, it, what, what are the new functions that you've added on since we last spoke? But then I also, maybe before that, actually, you mentioned the word subscriptions and you said we stopped everyone's subscriptions. So again, I just want people to be aware that it's a subscription-based app that you pay X dollars per month to use it. And what you're saying is during lockdown, you put all those subscriptions on hold so that people weren't you know, having money coming in their, out of their account for something. I think that's great that you did that as well. That's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, talk to us about what are some of the new functionality that didn't exist 12 months ago? Uh, well, that's great. We actually, in the time where we paused everyone, we really had an opportunity to talk to our customers, which is such an important opportunity to have. And through there, we created, you know, a communication, a beta group of people that use our products that really helped us um, explore new features to be made. So some of those features include, um, we actually put a timer um, inside the actual app. So when you're, it's a processing timer. So now stylists can set it for 30 minutes, 35 minute process times. And that timer will let them know when it's time to rinse it out. Um, little features like that really help you really connect our customers to our product and help evolve our products as well. Um, and other things too, we've made it very easy for multi salons, like salons that have many locations to be able to easily see their, their salons um, and their locations. 
and uh, making it more convenient at the back door for those types of salons. And then really the biggest thing is we tapped into that real-time ordering. So creating more streamlined processes around um, only ordering uh, just in time instead of a just-in-case strategy. So we really kind of moved away from the min-max strategy, but moved to more of a real-time strategy, which we kind of set that in the back end for you and really help you make sure that, again, the only thing that gets replaced is what was used. And this has uh, been one of our biggest features that we've rolled out here over the last uh, at least six months. Okay. So that's from an inventory management point of view. So so it's controlling what people are ordering. So, so you called it what? Just in time instead of just in case. Yeah. yeah. Yes, just in time. And that's something that I know that me and Anthony have talked about lots about is that, you know, our whole industry has been really this just in just in case mentality. We order things just in case we run out, we need to order six of those or eight of those. Uh, But what we need to realize is that our cash flow, our margins are profit margins in our business are not big enough to support that much inventory on our shelves. And when you think about the front end and the back end retail, Uh, that's a lot of cash that's locked up. So when you move into a just-in-time technology, that allows you to really um, unlock a lot of capital that you would have been stocking up just in case. And the worst thing too is that, again, I harp on this all the time, but it's it's that trend. The color is a trend-based business and something that is in trend this week could be gone tomorrow. So the last thing you want to do is have 36 tubes of a color that is out tomorrow and you've just stocked up on something that is not going to fly. So um, it's really important to really adopt technology today because that's really, no matter where you are, technology is everywhere, every single sector. Technology is in every single sector. The salon industry is the only one that we need to kind of really evolve that a little bit more uh, and and really figure out those uh, new technologies to help serve our our industry a little bit better. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. We're As an industry, we're pretty slow on the uptake of how to use uh, technology for our, for our own benefit. And there's all sorts of reasons behind that. Um, do you find, I suppose it's very much connected to that question, how much of that's a generational thing? So if you're talking to a salon owner who's you know in his 50s or she's in her 50s, as opposed to a salon owner in their 20s, are they are making an assumption here that the younger one's going to be a lot more, um, you know, interested or a lot more familiar with that sort of stuff as being, yeah, of course, well, why don't we have something like that? Am I right saying that or not? Very right. You know, I right. think the younger generation is screaming for technology. They love it. They you, you know, they don't let their phones leave their sides. That's just that generation. And so they're looking at ways to really optimize a lot of things. And they love these new advancements in technology. When we're looking at more um, experienced salon owners and people who have been in the industry for a long time, um, we see the comfort level sitting in. So we see them being very comfortable in the way that they've ran their businesses. And it's very hard to make change. And a lot of the reasons why is because they've seen this happen so many times that every time they've introduced change, they might have a turnover in the salon and they might have issues. So there's a lot more raw feelings about change than someone who's newer. And so that men- mentality becomes a little bit more, it takes a little bit longer for uh, someone to, it, it, someone that has an experience 
location to implement something like this. It takes a little bit longer to adopt things, but it's just because the experience level and knowing what could go wrong is a lot greater. And so I think they're just a little bit more cautious, takes a little bit uh, more steps to kind of do that. And, there, and there's a little bit more procedures being done. But the new generation, uh, like we have said, is they are are loving technology and they love anything they can to make things um, evolve and and really change. Yeah. Um, from a, a salon owner's point of view, in terms of the sort of pushback, I mean, people have pushback for all sorts of reasons uh, around technology. You know, one of the things is, is that they have issues around security and, and not trusting it necessarily. And we're in an age where uh, particularly in the United States and spreading everywhere um, is this this uh, and COVID has certainly accelerated it. Is this business unit of one, uh, whether it is is more booth rentals or chair rentals or salon suites, which you know are benefiting from COVID because of the uh, the isolation that they offer both the, the client and the stylist. And so I'm imagining that a lot of salon owners are hesitant to have something like this, where me, the stylist, has an app on my phone with my clients, and I use the word my client uh, in inverted commas, um, uh, with my client's color formula on it and measuring it through this app and then bringing that to reception to charge for the service. I can imagine a lot of salon owners feeling a little bit like, you know, I'm just giving them the farm here. This is ridiculous. How do you protect against that? How do you talk to that? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that you have to focus on the upside, you know, and some of our salons are seeing anywhere from 40 to $80,000 of pure profit back in their business. So that's going to really fire <laughs> something under your butt to like make action when you know you're going to get the capital that you've been really looking for and striving for in your, in your organizations. Um, but yeah, I find that, you know, these, these changes are definitely not easy, but when you focus on the return on investment, what is it going to cost me to the upside? That's the most important thing. And then as a salon owner, your expression, your excitement gets your team excited. If you're, if you're unsure, your team's going to be unsure, you know, so you have to make sure you're at the right place to make changes in your business. And if, if you are frustrated or you're not ready yet, then your team won't be as well. So it's very important as you make changes in, in, in any of your businesses that you really measure the right timing to make sure that these things are going to execute properly for you. And a lot of times, again, it's all mental. We, we, we kind of make these things up and think that they're going to be worse than they are. But if you properly execute something and you're exciting and you try something, you never know what you're going to get out of it. And like I said, you know, the thousands of salons that we've dealt with, it's all upside once they've gotten the implementation in it. It's just change is, is different in many different locations, but it's all about that owner getting behind it and getting excited um, no matter what it is and getting behind something that will evolve that company so that they can, again, work more on their businesses than in them all the time. Yeah. So uh, do those, uh, you've probably told me this before, but I've forgotten and I'm, I've got my salon owner head on here, right? And I'm thinking, well, hang on, are you saying that those client details stay on that hairdresser's phone? So those color formulas and and pricing, et cetera, and the date they came in, uh, all their records, do they stay on the stylist's phone, do they? Yeah, so that's actually a good point. I think you were bringing that up. I'll kind of talk more to that. So security is the number one thing. You know, I think as a salon owner, you don't want your staff leaving with a customer um, like playbook on them. Like that's like screams for, especially when you look at seven, up to 70% of the 
the American North American market is independent, but when we look globally, we're still pushing to around 60% independent. Um, and that's just rising. So we don't want to just hand people a business. Um, however, with technology, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, your stylists are going to find them anyways. Your stylists mm-hmm. will already get them in other platforms. So by trying to protect and hold on to um, those customers, it's going to be very, very difficult uh, because there's all those other platforms that exist. For us specifically, we only have a customer's first name and last name. We don't have phone numbers. We don't have anything but the formulation and the name of the customer. Most importantly, because we don't want to provide any links to in- emails, phones, or any connections to the customers because we truly want to support our salon owners and make sure that they feel secure in using our technology. Um, but like, I, I also want to say that many other front-end softwares are moving to this connection to the customer, which is going to be a fact. So as uncomfortable as it is, we're going to have to lean into the fact that if the stylist is going to leave, they're going to leave and they're going to find a way to access to these customers, probably through social platforms anyways. Um, so it's important for us to make sure that we're protecting ourselves. Um, and the best way to protect yourself is to focus on the customers, making sure you're always finding ways to keep them in the salon and uh, thriving that way, not just going to the stylist that works in your location. Yeah. Okay. So... I mean, along that you know line of questioning, what what is the biggest uh, challenge that you have dealing with salon owners out there? What's their biggest fear about taking this on? Is it what we've just touched on? Yeah, the first one is going to be their staff. I mean, every salon owner that's up to upwards of seventy to eighty percent of your revenue comes from your staff, and so it's terrifying to think of if I bring in another thing, is this going to be another thing that I'm taking from um, my staff and are they going to have pushback? And so again, with proper implementation, um, you'll find really good ways of rewarding the staff and, and yourself. Um, But yeah, that is probably the very first thing is they're worried about the staff. The second thing is the customers. You know, if my customers are going to be paying more, like how do I explain this? How do I, you know, bring in, in, um, in this type of conversation to the customer. And the reality is, is actually after two years, and since I spoke with you is, um, we have not had a single customer upset about their payment because most customers, they don't even know how much they're paying. And if you go up to a customer today and say, how much does it cost to get your hair colored? They would say something like, well, it's a little bit different each time, but it's roughly around this price. So it's funny because the customers don't really think it's a set rate, even though you are trying to keep them from being over budget. Like they, they actually think it's a variable service. Anyways, this is how they already know, because like we discussed, whether they work done on their car, on their vehicles or homes, they already know the language is separating parts from labor. They just assume that their color would increase if you're mixing more bowls. So we need to like actually realize that as an industry is that the customers don't think, um, don't think that we're just like making up a price. Like they actually think we have a system like a salon scale system that would measure that color out um, already. So not too much pushback from customers. The staff is going to be the bigger issue. And it's just about really finding that right time to implement it so that everybody wins. Yeah. And that is the, um, you know, you just said it again. So separating parts from labor, that, that is bottom line. If you said, what does salon scale do? That's what it does. It separates parts from labor. And so from the hairdresser's point of view, 
their fare. And you've, you're dead right with what you've just said, that if you said to a client, what does your color cost? They would probably say, or the definitely the majority of them would say, well, it varies, but it's usually around this. Uh, I really believe that that is what they would say. Um, and so what you're doing with Salon Scale is you, uh, you're acknowledging, and, and look, here's a great example with COVID. I mean, salons have been closed down in some cases. Salons were closed down here for four or five months in some cases. So people that would not, might normally come in with a half-inch regrowth were now coming in with a three-inch regrowth. So you don't have to be Einstein to figure out there's going to be a lot higher cost of product there. And yet it amazes me that a lot of salons weren't factoring that in. They might have been using three times the amount of product, but it's like, well, it's still just a, a, a root to, you know, touch-up regrowth that they weren't necessarily charging for product used, then, you know, that's that's the whole point of this tool and the whole beauty of it. Let me let me change some some questioning here because uh, I, I always love the the entrepreneurial story. And um, I love the fact that you're a hairdresser um, who had an idea. And, uh, um, you know, yeah, like we all get ideas. Everyone has ideas. Ideas are cheap, aren't they? You know, everyone has ideas. But what I'm always amazed about is when people have an idea and then they action it. And, you know, the hairdressing industry is, you know, an industry that has a lot of failures in it as a, um, as a, as a business. A lot of businesses fail. Um, and the tech industry has probably even more, you know, and uh, you know, the, the, the chances of a hairdresser, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, it's just, you know, it's what happens, isn't it? The, the chances of you being taken seriously as a tech entrepreneur, a hairdresser who's got an idea um, must have been really stacked against you. And I know we spoke about that a little bit last time, um, but, I, but I want to talk about that some more because, you know, there's a lot of people out there, young men and young women, who have ideas. Um, what, what sort of, you know, talk to that. What advice would you give to them? What's, what's your story that you've learned, you know, about that? Well, there's many, many stories. That's, <laughs> that's a definite for sure. But I think, you know, one thing to think about is if you don't build it, who else will? Like, and I think you need to look at that as like, if you have a good idea um, or one that you want to explore... It doesn't take much to really just like build up uh, an MVP or build up a, a prototype, something that would kind of explain it. And then Hang on, what's, a, what's an MVP? An MVP. So like a MVP. minimum viable product. Yeah. Oh, right. So, okay. yeah, exactly. And what, what you can do is you can work with a third party builder. You can work with a company that will build out uh, an app for you or, or a technology for you. Um, and then you can use that to kind of go from. But I think the number one thing that I noticed with most entrepreneurs, especially when they have a technical idea, is they don't talk to anyone. They're, they, they think they have to sign NDAs with everybody. And they're like, I can't tell anybody because I don't want anyone to take my idea. And I'm here to kind of tell you that this is not easy. It takes a lot of work, but if you're the right person to do it, it will happen. And so there's no better time than now to jump in, in, in such a technically booming industry for us, not only in the salon space, but in tech, tech in general, this is an amazing time to just explore these thoughts and try these things. Um, and really what I always in, encourage is to find a local accelerator um, or an incubator that you'll find them everywhere. 
and they're technical accelerators or technical incubators. You go there with an idea, they incubate your idea. So they help you with how to do uh, your go-to-market strategies, how to do that, how to build your first pitch deck. These are the things that you will learn from a technical accelerator or incubator that will really help you get ready to raise capital or grow. Or at the end of it, you might find out that this is not a scalable business. And what we want to know too, and what I always like to say is in tech, you need to have an idea that is large enough for people to invest in. So if your company is more of a lifestyle business, like it could only produce, you know, let's say $5 million a year in revenue, that is not big enough for investors to get behind. So you want to look at something like how can this uh, affect a globe or, you know, um, many countries, whatever you can do to make it as large as you can, that large chunk is what you're selling and you're selling that opportunity to investors. So really in that first stage from your idea, then you set into like, who can I sell it to? And from there, if the market is big enough, then you will definitely be able to go ahead and proceed with either funding um, and or bootstrapping wherever you want to go at, at that first stage. Yeah, it's interesting when you were th- talking then. Um, I often talk to hairdressers about, about finance. And one of the things I say to them is, is that, you know, finance is a language, you know, numbers are a language. And when you go to your accountant and you're intimidated because of the language that they use, it's just that you haven't learned that language. But if you were to talk to the accountant about the numbers in hairdressing, you know, so the 6N and the 30 vol and the, you know, blah, 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 you know, depth of a level nine and, a, you know, whatever it is, then the accountant wouldn't understand that language either. And, and you were just using the language of an entrepreneur. And you don't even know you're doing it. You know, I stopped you on one of them when you said an MVP, a minimum viable product. Then you went to NDA. So uh, <laughs> uh, hairdressers, the NDA is a non-disclosure agreement. So if you're going to share some information with someone and you're worried about them, you know, taking your idea, you need to get them to, deci- to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And then the other two were incubators and accelerators. And, and, and it's great that you you know, that as an entrepreneur that you, 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 you learn all these things. There's so much out there. And it's, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording the call was that there, there is a level of, uh, I don't mean to be rude, but naivety about so many people in our industry that we don't open up and learn about other things and other opportunities in business. And I think some of it's because we're scared of terminology. And someone starts using words like you just used, and they go, oh my God, she's talking another language. You know, but I, I know from our previous call that you said you felt like a duck out of water. You had no idea how you were going to make this happen. And, you know, you make mistakes like everybody, but you put one front foot in front of the other and, you know, you, you turn it into reality. Um, let's just get back to that and, and talk about raising the finance. I, I know you had a salon and I know it was a successful salon, um, but you know, tech requires a lot of money. And I know you entered a competition uh, and won a certain amount of money, but it was really just sort of seed capital. Uh, and you know, I, st- I think people like to understand, well, how much how much have you given away? Do you still own this company? What percentage of it do you own? How, how do you know how much of it to give away uh, in terms of equity for someone you know, stumping up uh, a capital to allow you to invest in it? So, so, so talk to that side of your journey. Yeah. So I think that's super important because as a salon owner, you're a hundred percent owner. You might have a partner in there, but 
you know, your whole Greek gain there is to hold 100% of your company. And that's how we've been trained. Whereas I now went through the round of financing and funding and, and how getting capital in your company allows you to grow that much more. Um, so really, when you when I first started, um, you know, it was about getting those angels, getting those people that were friends, family and um, young angels that really could... Uh, that like to get on that early ideation stage. Yeah. In that stage was where we <laughs> angels, <laughs> angels, are, angels are investors. They're, they're called angels because they're nice people and they've got more money than they know what to do yeah. with. So they they want to invest it in you. So okay, so carry yeah, on. They're your guardian guardian angels. You find yeah, those yeah. Exactly. So those angels are going to be, like Anthony said, those are going to be friends, family that are going to invest in you at ideation. Like you have probably had no market traction, but you have this idea and you need to start building it off the, off the ground. Um, and yeah, I had no clue about financing and every it's the problem is, is we want to know more and we want it now. And these things take time and they take building blocks. So sim simply what you would do is you would build out, okay, I want to um, sell to this industry. How many people are in this industry? And the easiest way to kind of break that down, like for us, we were talking earlier about a subscription model. So for us, we knew we were charging $29 for a solopreneur, $99 for a multi-salon. So you take those numbers and you multiply it by the market, uh, the potential market. And that gives you kind of a total addressable market. That's, that's that bite-sized pie that allows you to really raise capital. So in our situation, we had a $1.2 billion market opportunity. And that is a huge market opportunity if you think of global salons. Um, so yeah, when I had to go and raise money, like we talked about that before, I am a salon owner. I'm in the salon tech space. This is not the sexiest space for investors to get into. So I had to pitch myself through those things to get to the next rounds. And when I had to go in there, I thought of all my customers. I thought of the success that was already happening. And I knew I needed to fight for us to be able to get the funding. And a lot of it in that first stage, I didn't know what I was doing, but I went in there anyways. I went in there with a, a I, I actually just picked my first evaluation. I was like, here's what I want. Here's how we're going to go. Um, and then from there, you start to build relationships and it's very much like marriage. Um, so I like to harp on that too. It's like when you get investors, it's like you're marrying this person and they're going to be part of your journey the whole time. So they need to be updated on your metrics. They need to be updated on what's going on. And I can honestly tell you from someone who's come from super creative salon world to into the finance, it's been the most empowering moments of my life because the things that people told me I couldn't learn, I've learned in two years. So if mm -hmm. I can learn this in two years, anyone can learn this. I'm, I didn't go to university. I went to hair school, but mm -hmm. I'm able to really take those numbers and understand how to scale them out with mentors and resources as we grow. Um, the last thing I would say about this too, is like the equity side. So there is things, angel is going to be your first round. And then Anthony said seed capital. So that's going to be your next um, stage is that you probably built some traction and now you're ready for seed investment. Um, from seed investment, you're going to get into your series rounds. Those are series A, B, C can go up all the way to IPO, which means you're publicly traded. Um, and it takes a long time to get there, but we do have seen companies go public. Um, and so those are the rounds of financing. Typically... 
you want to make sure that you are not giving up too much early stage so that you can ride out those rounds of financing. Um, and so for us in general, we are kind of getting close to that series A. So you want to make sure you still own at least, you know, anywhere from 60 to 70% of the business going into a series A. So that's about where we're at right now. Um, and yeah, there's so much more to it. I highly suggest just Googling it. Googling is like your best friend for this type of information. There's so much stuff there for you to learn, especially about how much capital to give up at every round of, of fundraising. Mm, okay. Um, I'm sure everybody listening to this has watched uh, television programs like, uh, I think in the UK, we call it Dragon's Den. I think in the US, it's called Shark Tank. Uh, I don't know what it's called in, in Canada or Australia Dragon's or whatever. <laughs> oh, you're, you're Dragon's Den as well. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so, I think the question I was thinking as you were talking was that often you see people, you know, in the den or in the shark tank and they're wanting a dragon because they don't know what they're doing, you know, and they want the, the uh, intellectual capital of someone to come along and, and steer the ship for them. So what I'm asking you is with your investors, your angels, how much involvement do they have and do you want their involvement or do you just want their cash and for them to, take a back seat and just get a monthly report. So if you are a domain expert like myself, so I was a domain expert, I understood the salon space. So for me, I was looking for more finance, financial mentorship or uh, or simply the cash. So there are a few of our investors that help me with um, building like projections and building out these kind of um, tools that really help measure the success monthly to make sure that we're spending our capital capital properly. Um, so I do have a few of them that I talk to, but majority of them are all hands off. And essentially, um, at this stage, I knew I, I knew the direction, I knew how it was going. Um, and as you grow, you might have more strategic investments. So you might be hiring, you might get investment from someone that has, you know, connections to help you unlock more scalability or employment, um, having more uh, access to hiring more talent, or, or most importantly, who has connections to larger funds? Because you, when you raise a round, you need to raise the next round. Um, and so if you get capital from someone that doesn't have enough money to put money in the next round, then you need to make sure that person has deep enough pockets to really ride this journey out with you. So there is a bunch of those kinds of things that kind of happen through this whole thing um, that you kind of do that dance, but it depends on where are you at and are you able to control the direction of the business and try to hold on to that as long as you can. If I can say anything is I didn't want board members right off the get go. And that's something that you will eventually have in it when you, when you raise capital. Um, but I wanted to make sure that I stayed focused on selling. And a lot of the conversation at that time when I got investment was, I hope you realize uh, that I will reach out to you if I need, but I think the best case of my time is spent on selling the business right now than to provide you with a monthly update. Is that okay with you? And they would say, yep, that sounds great. Go ahead and sell it. And I said, great. Now I know I don't have to keep maintaining something. I can focus on something that's actually going to move the needle than a conversation. In line with that, what's been the biggest thing you've learned? I mean, you were standing behind a chair, what, three years ago? Yes. Yeah. So you were standing behind a chair three years ago with a salon with how many staff? I had 12 staff. 
Right. Okay. So reasonable sized business. And you probably couldn't have imagined you'd be the person and in the position that you are today. And you're obviously very intelligent. But what, what has been the biggest learning that you've had over these last three years? I think, I, I mean, I, I'd like to go back to that you, anything is possible. Anything with time is possible. And that really taking time to learn about how my brain processes things and to give myself patience to learn things and to hire people who are smarter than me to take on the things that I, I do not know. That was the best thing I've learned. And by having people a part of this journey, I haven't been alone. I've been able to scale the business um, quite quickly by having that extra help. Um, but it's important to know that no matter where you are, what stage you're at, you can learn anything. Just take the time to really learn how you process information, whether it's audio, visual, whatever it is, it's out there and you can find it probably on Google and you can definitely make it happen. Yeah. If you were to go back to when you had a salon, knowing what you now know, how would you run your business differently? I would 100% look at my finances, um, if not daily, weekly. Um, but I would simply just build out more strategies to build more revenue streams in my business so that it would be able to support um, the new economy, the new way that customers really come in and, and how they're, they're um, serviced. Um, and I think just even a simple PL, simple analysis of what's coming in and what's leaving really just studying those two things and setting proper budgets like is the most important thing that I wish I would have done or I would have done if I was in the business today. Right. And were you just like every other hairdresser and I'm being, I'm generalizing here, but the majority of hairdressers are completely overwhelmed by a P and L and a balance sheet. Are you saying that you were just an ordinary hairdresser like them? You didn't pay a lot of attention to that. That was all your accountant. You'd go and see him or her once a year and you'd sort of nod wisely with what they said to you, but you didn't really know what was the implications were of everything. Is that sort of what you're saying? Absolutely. I knew not, I knew absolutely nothing. And you know what the funny thing was, is when I stumbled across salon scale, figured out that big financial issue that we're not separating parts from labor, my accountant would never find that out. And I realized in that moment that we keep leaning on these people just because they have a math brain or a financial brain. And what we realize is they're not the ones driving the car. They're not in charge of, they are simply picking up the mileage of wherever you're going and telling you to make maybe a different turn next year because it costs you too much money. But they are not driving the car. And it is not complex. It is not hard to take a moment to really just organize. It's like, or, it's like cleaning your closet. Just mm -hmm. find the things that you want to keep, find the things you want to donate or get rid of, and then reorganize it so you know exactly what's going on. Take the time to do that because you will be shocked that you're spending more time taking on customers and um, you could be spending that time just to have the business run itself instead of you taking on more information or more uh, service. Yeah, that's a very good analogy uh, about the accountant. He's not driving the car or she's not driving the car. I totally agree with that. You know, I often say that to hairdressers that what numbers mean to an accountant and what they mean to you are two totally different things. Do you know what I mean? Like what they mean to you is about making good management decisions day to day. What they mean to the accountant is about making sure that you're legally compliant and paying the right amount of tax, et cetera, et cetera. But 
they're not driving the car, meaning they're not the ones making those management decisions every day. Um, we we need to start wrapping up, but there's there's a couple of things I just want to I just want to ask you. First one is, do you see now other tech opportunities in the industry? Um, I know you don't necessarily want to broadcast what your plans are, but uh, I mean, do you sort of see tech opportunities in the industry that you think I'm going to do that next? Is there anything you can share with us? Like, where's your head on that sort of thing? I just want to prepare everyone that everything will change. I think we're starting to see a huge shift um, and there's so much open opportunities. So I encourage anyone that is thinking of ideas to really explore those things because we do need help when it comes to data management. Us, Like when we think of a CRM, like our customer reporting management systems, like your, you, you know, we have to find ways to streamline these processes to make it a lot easier for us to keep molding and, um, and growing. So whether it's that you have a front end opportunity, there's many different ways. Like I have one little tip that someone might come up with, but essentially hourly people are going hourly and we need to have front end systems that can book on the hour. Right now we don't have that in place. So we need to have more new ways of how we service customers and the technology that supports those things. So definitely jump on those things. Another thing too is just affiliate marketing, being able to not stock so much retail and finding ways to have a affiliate links. So you send it directly to the distributor or manufacturer, get a commission. Now you don't have to have that that capital locked up on a shelf. Mm -hmm. Find the ways to really open up the gross profit margins in your business. Um, And then really honestly for us, we want to head into anything that comes into the finances. FinTech, being able to balance things with QuickBooks, being able to manage and automate anything that's coming in the back bar of your salon is definitely where we want to sit. sit. And um, you will actually probably see that sooner than later. So that's I'm sharing it with you first now, live to everyone here listening, is that you will see salon scale moving very quickly to being a real in, in real time ordering system for the supply chain. Okay. Wow, it's fantastic. And and you you touched on um affiliate marketing. I mean, I totally agree. That is just exploding. Uh in some countries more than others, but where that explodes, usually it spreads to everywhere else. And uh, I mean in the US it's happening in a big way and it's going to happen even more everywhere else. That is the future without a doubt. So, okay, well look, we need to wrap up. Whereabouts can people connect with you? Where can they find out more about Salon Scale? So if you head right to our website, salonscale.com, we have all of our information there as well. And then all of our handles um, on all social platforms are at salonscale. Great. Okay. Well, uh, Alicia, any final words for our audience? Jeez, I just want to say now's the time to seize any opportunity and just chase your dreams because I don't think I'd be sitting here with Anthony if I didn't take a jump. So thanks again, Anthony, and thanks for all you that are listening. Good. Fantastic. Well, if you're listening to this podcast with Alicia Soulier um, and you have enjoyed it, then please take a screenshot and post it to your Instagram stories or wherever. And uh, we would love to you know, see what you thought of it. And we will look forward to you joining us on another podcast. So Alicia, thank you very much for your time today. As usual, you've been a real um, you know, font of wisdom and knowledge, and it's been very entertaining and interesting for me to hear what you've had to say and i'm now going to go and google some of that terminology you just threw my way okay all right thanks alicia thank you 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.